Welcome to the Brick Business Show, where we talk about Lego investing, Lego reselling, entrepreneurship, and how people all around the world are using the thing that they love, Lego, to create an income and build a business. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to the Brick Business Show, where we talk about building a business online, typically using Lego sets. But today, I am so excited to have a little bit of a departure from talking about Lego to talk to Eric from Amazon Lit, who candidly has been one of my uh, mentors, Eric, even though you don't know that. I've been watching your stuff for the longest time. When it comes to building a business on Amazon, when it comes to really making a living with this stuff, growing and scaling and uh, and blowing it up, uh, Amazon Lit have been around for quite some time in the Amazon world, typically uh, talking about wholesale models. So we're going to dive into what that means and how Eric has been able to grow an incredible business uh, over the last couple of years. Um, Eric, thank you for being here, man. Yeah, Shane, I'm honored to be here. Thanks for having me on. I'm excited to provide a ton of value to your community in the next hour or so. Thank you, man. I'm pumped. I'm pumped. So I guess uh, because, you know, people are going to have questions about, okay, so when I go to sell on Amazon, there are all sorts of different ways that I could do it. There are ways that I could go out and buy used books. There are ways that I could go out and buy DVDs or I could, it could, you know, is it really possible to build something that's, you know, huge with big warehouses and different things and the things that you've been able to achieve with your, uh, with your business, honestly, are kind of eye-watering for someone starting out with Amazon. But I'd love to just start at the start for you. Uh, just if you could give us a quick kind of high level of your your business to date and what you do, and then we can kind of dig in a little bit on uh, what got you to where you are now. Yeah, yeah. So um, I operate mainly uh, Amazon wholesale business out of Northeast United States. And ironically enough, we started many years ago selling a lot of Lego products, which I'm sure we'll get into later. Wow. Um, yeah, but uh, so I have a, a warehouse here in, the, in uh, the Northeast United States, and we mainly focus on wholesale, but we also still do some retail arbitrage just on a much larger scale, as well as some brand partnerships and some private label as well. So I got my hands in all the cookie jars. Um, and we have a pretty large team of about 50 of employees, and I've been doing this for 10 years now. So I consider myself an expert at selling on Amazon. And last year or this year, year to date, we're at about 50 million, and we're probably going to close the year right around 75 million in, in annual sales. So I love how you say these things so casually, right? <laughs> You're just like, oh, yeah, we've got a team, a team of 50 people. And we're going to probably close the year at 75 million in sales. So I just wanted to repeat that just in case anyone missed what he just said there, because we're talking about a massive Amazon operation here, a massive business with, you know, and, and Eric on Amazon Lit's Instagram page, go check it out, posts a ton of content around their warehouse and how things look and how things flow around their warehouse. And it's, it's amazing to see. So definitely go check that out. Um, and Eric, you mentioned, so wholesale, private label, retail arbitrage and you know and we don't need to go back to to the, the real basics on that stuff but could you just give a very quick high level on um you know i guess how wholesale it differs from some of those other models for amazon yeah yeah so just imagine i think a great way to explain it is imagine retail arbitrage or online arbitrage times 10 right so instead of going to a retail website or a retail store and buying 10 units of this and 15 units of that and 10 units of this you're essentially cutting out that middleman, which is the store or the retail website, and you're going direct to a wholesaler, distributor, manufacturer, brand, and purchasing those same items 
that you're currently doing RA and OA with, but in much larger volumes, larger quantities and reselling them on Amazon. Yeah. And so the key there is that they are branded items from other companies that yeah. you're selling um, versus something like a private label, which is you're kind of inventing your own product. Not really because you're sourcing from a manufacturer, yeah. but you're inventing your own brand for a product, yeah. creating your own listing on Amazon and different things. Wholesalers will actually live on the same listings as a lot of other sellers and yeah. kind of join a listing of another brand. And so what are some, you know, I guess... Um, high level examples of an item that would be very commonly wholesaled on Amazon. Uh, yeah. So some products that we're crushing it with right now, I don't know if you've heard, there's been a um, Cholula or not Cholula. Oh man. I can't remember. It's like an Asian sauce. What is the name of it? Uh, it's slipping my mind, but there's this, let's just say Cholula, for example, that's a product. It's a hot sauce that everybody's familiar with. It's in thousands of restaurants across the country. And I probably have some Cholula listed right now in my own Amazon storefront, right? Love Same it. things with like uh, those crumbled Oreos that people sprinkle on ice cream. Right now we're selling like a three or six pack of those and we're crushing it, you know? So just everyday consumer products, think about when you walk into a Walmart or a CVS or a Walgreens, all those products you see on those shelves, those are all products that wholesalers like me sell on Amazon. Yeah. And I think that's a common misunderstanding, especially when people first get into the Amazon world is yeah. first thing that you think, and this is the same for Lego investors. And when I first started looking at Lego sets for resale, you make the assumption that it needs to be something like fancy and something yeah. really cool that people are going to want for years and years. And reality, some of the biggest Amazon sellers out there are selling the most everyday products. Yeah. And um, so I'd love to kind of get so like take it back a little bit and you know go back to where did this start for you? How, like how did you discover this stuff and yeah. what was the in you know, the first early years like for you as an Amazon seller? Yeah. Oh, I remember it's it's sriracha. That's what I was trying to get. Okay. Sriracha. Yep. Sriracha. This it's it's crushing it right now on Amazon. But so what kind of got us started? Uh, we started off doing a lot of retail arbitrage, going to Costco, BJ's, Sam's Club, and buying small quantities of inventory. And at the time, ironically enough, there was no seller app. There was no scanning software. So we would write down UPCs and prices on a piece of paper and go back home, research them. There was no Keepa. There was nothing. And we'd research them to our best of our ability, go back to the store, fill up the van, and then drive <laughs> back to the house, package them, and then drop them off at UPS and repeat that process every single day. Um, oh. So I know a thing or two about putting in that legwork and that sweat equity early on to really scale out a company, because we did that for probably 18 months straight out of a basement, a 600-square-foot basement. That's, um, that's, that's incredible. Uh, like, without the tools at that time... Like it must have been a quite an un underground thing at the time. Like there probably wasn't as a huge community of people on YouTube showing how to do it because there's no tools. And as so, it sounds like real. I guess probably less people even knew that you could go out <laughs> and do these things, right? Yeah, yeah, and that, and that's why we kind of had to learn the hard way because there was no YouTube channels like yours talking about e-commerce businesses or people helping people build these types of companies. Nobody, there's no social media accounts. We learned all through trial and error. Yeah. Yeah. Which cost us hundreds of thousands, if not probably well over a million dollars in mistakes in those first couple of years. Yeah. And I love the way you, you actually say that because it's something that a lot of people don't realize is that today when you have access to the level of information that we have, 
like when you could wake up in the morning, roll over, pull up a device and watch videos of someone outsourcing product and, and building a business or in your case, operating a warehouse, right? And having the, a, a bird eye view into stuff like that. The value of that is I think it's often overlooked and it's often misunderstood. And 20 years ago, or maybe a little longer, 30 years ago, if you wanted to learn how to build a business, you're going to the library for yeah. four hours, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. so yeah, we're spoiled. And so you're out, you know, you're, you're retail arbitraging for a couple of years. You're operating out of a, out of a basement. Um, what kind of, how big did you grow it to in those early years when you were, you know, retail arbitraging? Did you yeah. get so bigger? Yeah, so I'd say those first 18 months out of that basement, we probably built it to a little over a million dollar business annually. Well, so that in that in itself should be very inspiring, right, to everyone here. And I know that we're talking about a different time period, maybe less competition and sellers and different things on Amazon. Um, and I, I actually would like to loop back and ask you about that, Eric, because you do have a longer term view on how the landscape on Amazon has changed. But if you could hit a million dollars in 18 months, uh, through the the sweat equity that you put in at that time, just going out and sourcing products like that, there's, uh, you know, I see that as like there's no excuses, right? I see that as like these are the possibilities that we have, yeah, with with things like Amazon and selling on Amazon. And people are still building businesses, like even though that was ten years ago, I still got we got people in our community who are crushing million dollar years in the first twelve months, and you even see now on social media there's eighteen year olds, nineteen year olds building million dollar a year businesses on Amazon. Yep, yep, yep. and the e commerce la landscape is changing a little bit with whatnot and with you know auction style and community style selling and yeah. different things, which is interesting. But Amazon continues to be you know king. Yeah, um, and so then when. Was it around the two-year mark or 18-month mark that you decided to go all in on this and to get a warehouse and, and these kind of things? Or how was that decision for you? And were you still working a job at that point? Yeah, so 18 months, 24 months in, um, no, I was not working a job. I actually was um, – so my best friend and business partner, Sebastian, this was operating out of his business. So I was just helping him at the time. I wasn't uh, – I didn't have a, really a role. I was just a – helping him out right he'd pay me cash and i'd help him out on the side um but then about 18 24 months in we realized like listen if we can get like a place to do this work at instead of this 600 square foot basement we could probably double or triple in this next coming year so we got a little thousand square foot warehouse about a mile away from that basement and um we started bringing all the inventory to there and we got much more efficient in that place instead of moving boxes around that tiny little where that tiny little basement you know yeah yeah so it sounds like you learned early on the importance of efficiency and you know yeah. having things your ducks in a row and because yeah. if you realize that you could triple by expanding your space obviously the, the the big thing that was blocking you from growing was real estate was was space um that's actually interesting it's a it's a common concern in in my community as well with lego investing because we do have a, some a whole time while lego says go in value we have a whole time and some of the concerns that people will have is okay what happens when i run out of, of space right. and yeah. um you know and how far ahead should i think about upgrading my space mm. you know like so you're not slowing down your processes because you've already maxed out you're getting ahead of it making the decision before you're going to need the extra space yeah. And, and you said it best, it's all about your efficiencies, right? So the goal is you want to get that space before you're wasting, you know, an hour a day, just moving this to get to this and stepping over that to get to this, like, because all of those inefficiencies, they don't seem like a lot in a day, 
But if you're wasting a half hour a day times five days a week, that's two and a half hours a week, a week times 52 weeks, you know, you're talking over a hundred hours two over almost three full work weeks of just moving stuff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when you when you put it like that let's let's add it all up here and really think about what's actually happening here and it's one of those invisible things that you yeah. know like it's it's hard to realize how much you're wasting until you step back from it yeah. um you know simple like one of the big things that a lot of people would in the beginning when they're reselling even at a small scale is just not having the right supplies and shipping materials and all of that sort of right. thing and the amount of time an energy that people probably waste by trying to Franken box. That's what I call it. When you have to make your own box to fit an item that you're shipping out. Right. Um, just because you don't have the right stuff in place. And it can be a common mistake for in the beginning to not invest in the right supplies because you're trying to cut corners and save. Uh, but then you lose on this, on the time invested in trying to shoehorn things into, you know, um, you gotta just, Get the right stuff, get the right efficiencies, get the real estate you need, get everything set up and set yourself up for, for success. Yeah. Um, so I guess from there then, wh when was the moment where you started pivoting into working with wholesale, um, you know, with distributors and realized, okay, we can stop going out to stores and buying everything from Kohl's. Instead, we could get pallets shipped to us from a distributor and take this kind of sourcing game to the next level. Yeah, so right around two and a half, three years in, we hit a plateau. We were struggling to grow. At that time, we were probably doing four to five million dollars in annual sales, just doing retail arbitrage, um, and we couldn't really get past that. You know, profits weren't growing, revenue wasn't growing. Um, so Sebastian and me were like, there needs to be a better way, right? And we started Googling um, trade shows, right? We didn't really know what they were, but we really, and we didn't even know that's what they were called to begin with. We just started Googling like events where you could find people who could sell you stuff in, in larger volumes and quantities. Um, and we found an event happening in San Francisco and Sebastian actually flew out there and we placed a, we placed our first wholesale order at that event. It was 10 pallets of quinoa. Um, and we got it shipped to our warehouse and we prepped it all up sent it to amazon and we sold those 10 pallets which is probably about 1500 units we sold those 10 pallets in about 35 40 days and from then it was just like we need more of this yeah yeah and the simplicity of it just hit you and it's i mean it's great that you had a good first experience right because if and that's obviously a couple of years of retail arbitrage experience teaching you how to understand sales volume and, and different things like that so you knew what you were doing with that first purchase yeah um i i guess do you see um do you see a kind of a, a a possibility that someone who's not experienced enough could go into wholesale and bite off more than they could chew or do you think that even some terrible decisions in the beginning are are totally worthwhile because as long as you can maintain the confidence in the process you'll quickly pick yourself back up yeah so no those mistakes are very common for newer sellers and that's why i talk to a lot of people from all over the world and people with lots of money want to invest in wholesale and they say hey eric i got a hundred thousand dollars or two hundred thousand dollars and i'm like no start with like three to five thousand bucks right and the reason why you just pinpointed it shane it's you're going to make mistakes no matter what so you don't want to make a mistake with fifty thousand dollars you want to make a mistake with two thousand dollars yeah 
and get the learnings, you know, just under your belt. And like, especially if people are jumping straight into wholesale, because as an Amazon seller, I've always seen wholesale as the, 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 the top the pinnacle, I guess the top of the mountain when it comes to, um, to barriers to entry almost and you know, and, and the seriousness of the game, right? Because retail arbitrage, you can go out and buy one or two units, spend yeah. 80 bucks, see what happens, right? Yeah. Wholesale, you're placing bigger orders. It also to me seems like there's more prep involved with yeah. getting started because you need to build relationships with suppliers. Yeah. Um, some of the suppliers are not going to take you seriously right up front. So, yeah. you know, you may need to create yourself a business website to to yeah. get kind of suppliers to even talk to you and different things. And then if you're going to go all through all that work, drop your your first, you know, couple of thousand dollars and it doesn't work, some people would be afraid to continue. Um, yeah. So I could see that being a problem. Yeah, and, and one piece of advice I have for anybody who's maybe considering getting into the wholesale game is if you got that three to five thousand dollars and you're gonna place an order, don't just get one product, get like 10, 15, 20 different products. So you're spending a hundred bucks on this, a hundred fifty dollars on this, because what a few of them aren't gonna work. It's just basic, yeah. basic statistics. A few of them are gonna the drop in price, you're not gonna be as profitable, but you got those other ten or twelve products that will work. And you'll still be at a profit for that entire order. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And it's, you know, diversification really, yeah. you know, and we should do it in everything um, until uh, like Warren Buffett and, you know, some of the big investors will, will kind of, will say that like diversification is, is great for people who don't know what they're doing, but is, and so I would argue, I would caveat that with great in the, in the very beginning over time, you may, start to narrow in on what works best or you will start to work to narrow in on what works best and then same with lego investing with what we do you know in the beginning we see a lot of people picking 30 lego sets to buy as an investment and then three years in they're picking 10 right like yeah. they're because they've honed in they know what to do um yeah so so great advice um so over the last few years then i've seen you know re i think just last year you guys moved warehouse right like um so it's just been you know, grow a growth and a growth and a growth for you guys over the last couple of years. Um, and so, you know, it seems like, um, like the last few have, has the last few years kind of, uh, picked up in terms of the growth because those are early couple of years, you were three, four, five million. Now you're talking about hitting 75, um, within a 10 year time span, it feels like you kind of had a trajectory there that picked up a lot, right? Is that the, the compound effect or, or kind of was there some pivotal points there that really led things to take off yeah so a real pivotal point for us in life-changing event um was covid covid absolutely made our business explode we grew that year we did almost a hundred percent revenue growth because fortunately for them or for us we had an established business so we had access to a lot of those i forgot what they call them but like essential products that people could sell so we were ordering i remember it was like a friday night 3 a.m and sebastian his office is right through this wall and we're yelling back and forth like just got a truckload of toilet paper just got like two truckloads of body wash like we were just ordering so much inventory um and that absolutely changed the entire game for us wow wow and then obviously profits reinvested and everything like it just quickly kind of started to multiply from there yeah, we've That's always phenomenal. been firm believers that we take, you know, majority of the income we generate from our business and we we obviously pay ourselves well, but we dump a lot of it back into the company. Amazing. And what have been some of the because it 
it is rapid growth. Like what are, have been some of the teething problems or growth problems um, that you've had to work through? What are some of the big challenges with seeing that much growth in a decade? Yeah. So cash flow is definitely one, you know, we've, we've leveraged Amazon lending and SBA loans and private bank loans and, you know, 10 different credit cards over the course of these years. So definitely funding it's Amazon, as you know, is a very cash heavy business. You got to have the money to buy the inventory. Um, yeah. And then also you got to make sure that your inventory selling through in a shorter period of time, typically 30 to 45 days. So you're getting a return on that cash investment quickly as well. So that's always been a huge issue for us, but we've, we really hammered down and nailed on what we want to do um, and how to manage that much better than we did when we first started today. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the cash flow issue again, for, for people who are Lego investors um, becomes a bit of a concern because we have to hold it for some time and different things. And it is a, yeah. A more advanced game, I think, to be able to manage things like going into debt for inventory. Mm. And so it's the kind of thing that I would hope people have a couple of years experience before taking on the big loans and different things. Yeah. Was it stressful, I guess, to, to at that level to be taking on presumably very large debt? Or was it was for you as a business as usual to be in the know enough that you have an exact plan as to how you're going to handle taking on liabilities? Yeah. Um, so I think I think me and both I could speak for Sebastian as well. Uh, I think we perform best when our backs are to the wall. So, you know, we obviously we never take out a large sum of money without having a game plan in place. But I feel like once we have that kind of lingering over us, we know that we need to put in the work. So there's still a lot of weeks, even now, 10 years later, being a CEO of a business or COO of a business like there's still a lot of weeks where I'm putting it in 65, 70 hour weeks because that's what it needs to be done in order to continue to scale this thing, especially when you got a $2 million loan out, $3 million loan out. Yeah. 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 You know, it's been really inspiring to see, like you, you, you put up a post on a Sunday afternoon, right? I work six days a week, which is I think better than a lot of people who work five days a week. I see your Sunday posts and I'm like, Oh man, like, <laughs> <laughs> so for you know eric would post um you know uh, if, if, if there was one that you posted last week that i thought was amazing um i think it was something along the lines of if you're not moving toward your goals this weekend then you're either staying stagnant or you're moving away from them yeah. um yeah. and it was i think it was a sunday that you posted it uh, i love that mentality i love that mentality that you know there is uh, there are others out there who are chasing their goals and dreams, yeah. even on Sundays, even on the weekends. I think you also said um, it's as an entrepreneur, it's easy during the week to choose to go after it. Right. It's easy Monday yeah. to Friday to choose to, to go after your goals and your dreams. It's harder in the evenings and on weekends. Yeah, uh, that those are the times where it's more tempting to go watch the game. Right. Or go, yeah. you know, to relax and watch Netflix. Yeah. Um, so. I just love that. I love that mentality firstly, but how do you keep up that level of discipline toward your dreams? I, like, does it come from having a really strong why or a really strong purpose as to what you like the reasons you're in it? Because a lot of people would think, you know, after you've achieved the, such a level of success and you've, you've been paid uh, well for a certain number of years where you could probably live on some investments and different things like that, that, you could start to slow down a little bit, but it seems yeah. like you guys are not going to slow down anytime soon. So what drives, you know, that? 
Yeah, I would say part of it is because I know what it feels like to have nothing. You know, this this wasn't always my life. Uh, eight or I'd say about 10 years ago, I was sleeping on Sebastian's couch, living out of my car. I had absolutely nothing. I couldn't I couldn't really keep a job for more than a couple weeks at a time. So I know what it feels like to have nothing. And now I know what it feels like to have everything. And I think the understanding of knowing that feeling of spiritual emptiness and just broken inside and broken in my bank account as well, like knowing I never want to go back to that kind of helps me get up a little uh, more motivated every single morning than maybe most people. Um, but also, I, I know, really, I'm just scratching the surface, like there's levels to this thing, Shane. And I think the willingness you have to continue to elevate the mindset, right, and continue to grow is not only a business owner, but also a person individually. I think there's just, I'm just scratching the surface. And really, I consider myself just kind of getting started. Well, uh, so you must obviously have mentors that are even larger than a 75 mil a year business that you're kind of looking to and thinking that's, that's where I'm going. Yeah. Well, me and you, we just spent a few days down in Orlando, hanging out with one of them. You know, Russell Brunson is someone I've, I've paid to mentor me. Um, I've, I've also paid other guys like Dan Henry and some of these other big, you know, marketers and business owners. And then I have some people I've built some phenomenal relationships with over the years that are just, I continue to be a sponge around them. You know, and they just say little nuggets all the time. And I'm just like, oh, I got to, I'm typing that on my phone because now I got to do that. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that should, like, I, I want to just pause and, and acknowledge what you just said, because I think that that should give an insight to the audience here about what it takes to get to your level, right? Because you are operating a massively successful business. And not only do you have the drive to continue to grow it and grow it and go in on Sundays, but also you're going to conferences. Like you just said, we were like, we were in Orlando at a business conference to watch how people are continuing to get to the next level. You are investing in mentorship. You are investing in coaching programs. You are paying others to, to show you what they're doing. And a lot of people would think, okay, well at your level, why do you need to, to do those things and it's yeah. it's a mindset of education never ends if you want mm -hmm. to succeed right like if you want to get ahead in life you want to do achieve your goals and your dreams you cannot ever get complacent and believe that you know it all nope. right because that's the point where you, you know you'll you'll just miss stuff you'll slip behind your competitors are trying to learn right so yeah. um so i guess how important is uh it, like how much how much weight do you put that into your success like do you see it as you have been so hungry to learn and to master and to iterate and to improve and uh dedicate everything to your knowledge and that is a massive portion of your success up until now yeah 100 percent. i think if i'm the smartest person in the room i'm absolutely in the wrong room and when you can pay someone to get years and even decades of knowledge and information in a few days or in a short period of time, it's the absolute cheat code to life, you know, because you might spend five years trying to learn what you can literally spend in a day with someone educating yourself about and them teaching you how they did it. And now you've just fast tracked your entire success rate because you have that knowledge and information to now implement on and execute. So it's a no-brainer for me. I, I invest at minimum six figures a year 
in education for myself. And it's all a tax write-off as well because I'm, I'm a business owner and you're a business owner as well. And that's why you invest in education too. Yes, exactly. Yeah, but it's just, it's one of those things that so many people think I'm crazy, you know, when I mention <laughs> I'm part of this coaching program is 25K a year and people are like, you're doing what right now? Like, you're, okay. So it is, and I understand it. And, you know, there was once a point in time where I would have been like, how do I illegally download as many courses as I can and just, you know, like, it's, but it's, I, life gets better when you learn to double down on your education and improve. And, and, and here's the thing with like the pirating courses stuff, right? Typically when you pay, you pay attention. So all that free information you downloaded, there's a very high chance that you're never going to watch it, never going yeah. to execute on it because you don't have any skin in the game with it. But if you pay $10,000 or like you did $25,000 to learn something, you better, you better bet your bottom dollar you're showing up and you're going to learn what that person's teaching. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it, it just feels different. Like the, the, your commitment to it is, is completely yeah. different. Um, yeah. And something I wanted to ask you about, Eric, is, is this, so you've built this business with your partner, Sebastian, from the ground up, from the very beginning, uh, you're still partners today. I have talked to a number of people who have had partnerships that didn't work out, uh, partnerships with friends, with family, you know, and a lot of partnerships seem to not work out. I don't know what the statistic on that is, but I assume it's above average, you know, or above 50% of partnerships probably don't work out in the end. Um, how, I, like, what are your, what are some of your secrets to success, I guess, for being able to build such a large business with a partner who is also a friend, keep it going up until now. Um, and, you know, are there certain skill sets that you complement each other on? Or I guess, how do you break down the work between you and how does it all, all flow? Yeah. So Sebastian and I were kind of a unique situation because we were friends way, way before we were business partners. And today we own a few different businesses together. Um, and there's absolutely different skill sets that we have, right? Sebastian is real. Like he's, he loves the data side of things and the development side. So he's built like a lot of softwares for our company, right? And I'm like a numbers guy where I'm diving into like the profitability and the revenue. And if we save 20 cents here times, you know, a thousand times a month times 12 months a year, we could make an extra $25,000 in profit. Like, so I'm analyzing all that and he's really good at building out teams and infrastructure, right? And I'm good at like training those teams. So it's like together collectively, it just kind of works. But one suggestion I have for anybody who's considering it is both partners need to bring something to the table, whether it's a financial investment or an, um, an experience investment. Typically, it's one of those two things. If someone you're considering partner with has no experience or no money to put in, then it's like, you're just doing them a favor by allowing them to become a business partner. And then you want to get a partnership agreement as well. Something on paper that outlines what each person role is. So if someone slacks off, you have a document to essentially break that partnership up without having to go through a whole, whole nightmare legal process. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I imagine it's quite hard to find because like a lot of people probably emotionally enter into partnerships, right? Mm -hmm. um, in the beginning, it's like you're, you're having a drink with someone and you're like, oh, like, you know, we should do, there's an opportunity. Let me tell you about it. A lot of partnerships are probably formed by insecurities, right? Mm -hmm. Like by the entrepreneur who has the idea being too afraid to go at it alone and wanting to bring a buddy along or, or to, yeah. you know, to just share it with somebody. And that could typically lead to not having complementary skills and just kind of 
going at it because, right, just because, and then it clashes and then, you know, inevitable um, differences of opinion, especially when you reach a certain level of success and you could have things like greed coming into play, right? And all of a sudden you have people are looking at things differently because now they want a bigger piece of the pie and different things like that. Um, do you think that there's an element of, uh, I guess, a little bit of luck that comes into having, you know, being in the right place at the right time to have a great partnership? Or is it something that just needs to be learned and adapted as you go along? Did you naturally complement each other's skills or did you over time learn how to work around each other and delegate the right things to the right people? Well, I think we naturally just kind of have those different skill sets that we've always had. And, and, you know, I'm very outgoing. Sebastian's a little more reserved. And that's why you see me all the time on social media and you won't see Sebastian often, right? But he's at like all the events and he's kind of the guy who's having that side conversation for 20 minutes talking about all the life-changing stuff that you can incorporate into your business so he's a huge valuable resource but i do think a percentage of it is luck because it's not like you put in an application on indeed or monster looking for a business partner like i think you kind of have to be in the right places sometimes to kind of find that potential partner that you may want to add into your company or build a new business with yeah. Yeah. And do you think for most Amazon sellers, would you recommend to start out in that way? Or do you think, do you see, for example, in the students who go through your programs and different things, do you see partnerships a lot or is it more common for people to be doing this solo, um, you know, when they're first starting out? Yeah. So most of the partnerships I see are forced marriage partnerships where they're, they're already, you know, in a, in a legal binding partnership because they're, you know, husband and wife or husband and husband or wife and wife, whatever the case may be. So yeah. that like they already have a partner because they're building it as a family. But we don't have, I would say, a very small percentage of people. More of the established businesses that exist already come to us who are have partners. But most of the new people who are starting out, they're just solo entrepreneurs looking to potentially change their life. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I want uh, I guess the other thing that comes to mind when we talk about your explosive growth over the last ten years and um, some of the teething problems and challenges I can imagine you you've had to work through is in the area of have, of your team, right? Because you said you've got fifty people yeah. working for you right now you know, it's got to be a lot of work. So I imagine you probably have managers and different things that kind of take care of, of a lot of that. But what was that process like for you when you first started hiring? What were some of those problems and some of those challenges that you had to run through? Yeah. So you're, you're right. 50 people is a lot and we do have management in place, but I think it's important to point out that it started with just one, right? We didn't go hire 10 employees at once. We started with one employee and something that we learned early on is you got to show them, you can't tell them. You can't say, hey, do this, do this, do that. Show them what to do because then they know exactly how to do it because who knows it better than the person who's teaching it? Probably yeah, nobody, yeah. right? If I'm hiring a prepper, I've been prepping for two years. I probably know prepping better than anybody else. I should be training that prepper. So you train that person well and you let them make mistakes. Nobody's going to be perfect. You let them make mistakes. We've had, you know, employees make mistakes that cost us thousands and thousands of dollars. Do we fire them on the spot? Absolutely not. Now, if they made it four or five times, then they got to go. But, you know, you let them make mistakes because they're that's the best learning experience for them. So I think it's a, it's like a tolerance thing. And it's also understanding that at the end of the day, they're just humans. And as long as they're willing to work and help you build your dream and you pay them well and take care of them, like they will do and perform 
how you need them to perform in order to scale. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And what I guess, do you like, do you see a, an opportunity to take some of the people who come in as employees and eventually kind of graduate them up through the business um, to eventually almost have strategic vision on bringing opportunities to you guys as Amazon sellers? Is that something you've done in the past? Yeah, so we do all our promoting from within, right? A lot of our current management, a lot of our buyers, um, they all started in the warehouse. Even me, I started in the warehouse. I started packaging products, and, and now I'm at the top of the top of the ladder, right? But like uh, some of our lead buyers and our repricer specialists, like they all started packaging inventory in the warehouse because who's better to take on a new position that's more advanced maybe in the responsibility than someone who already understands the infrastructure and what happens in the day-to-day -day. instead of pulling someone off the street and trying to teach them what happens in the day-to-day. -day. Yeah. Yeah. And then obviously you're probably benefiting from a lot of the motivation that will come from knowing that there's opportunities that they can rise to um, yeah. as well. Uh, can you just at a very high level break down, you know, roughly what the different components or different areas of the business are in terms of what are some of the roles that some of your team uh, do? Yeah. So it's four or five positions. Um, you got uh, packers, right? Those are essentially the employees who package all the inventory bundles, multi-packs, FNSKU labels, do not separate, poly bag, the whole nine, right? Anybody who's ever packaged a product to Amazon will understand that process. Um, and then we have pickers, right? So the goal of the packer is you want them at the packaging stations, and I don't want them going into the warehouse to get a product or going over here to get a supply. The more they move from that packing station, the less money they make you. So we want the packers packing all day. So then we hired pickers to pick the products and physically bring them to the packer so the packer doesn't have to move. So we got packers, pickers, and then we have our warehouse staff, right? These are people who are receiving shipments, wrapping pallets, sending out the shipments for outgoing inventory. Um, so now we got preppers, packers, and the warehouse staff. And then you gotta have someone who's managing all of that, right? So we got some management within the warehouse and that kind of covers the warehouse side, those four positions, prepper, packer, warehouse staff, management, um, and then upstairs in the, more of the, um, I guess, the, I don't want to call it executive side because that's a little too formal for me. Um, we'll just we'll just call it the upstairs, right? We have buyers and admin. So the buyers, they buy all the inventory and admin does like the account health, you know, some of the um, invoicing, accounts payable, accounts receivable. And so what's that? It's six positions total in our company. And then de web developers as well, which is seven. But that that happened way, way, way down the line. Got it. Got it. And so it, the fact that you mentioned web developers actually is, it leads into something I did want to ask you about, which is um, how do you weigh up the, the pros and cons of continuing to scale your business on Amazon versus, uh, you know, building out your own thing? I uh, presume you guys have already... You mentioned web developers, so you have you already got an e-commerce site of your own that's outside of Amazon, and kind of how are you thinking about the non-Amazon aspects? Yeah, so we do have a site off of Amazon. Honestly, it's very challenging to grow. It, it makes up a nearly, probably less than a tenth of percent of our total revenue because here you are building a website competing, and we're just selling generic name brand products. Like, 
So it's like tough to compete with the Walmarts and the Amazons when you're a small guy, even though we're a big guy on Amazon for the for the personal website, we're still very, very small and a, a blip in the matrix as far mm -hmm. as things. So what we're using web development for is for SaaS, right? Uh, softwares that we use in our Amazon business, building out our own UPC scraper, our own repricer, our own um, ERP for tracking cost of goods and stuff. All the internal stuff that you need four different softwares to do now, we have it all in one in-house. Love it. Well, okay. And so is that... Um... What was the driver behind the decision on that? Is it that there was certain opportunities that you could see that the tools didn't didn't surface to you and you wanted to have customized uh, tooling to be able to to achieve things that you couldn't do elsewhere? Or was it just a cost factor or kind of why did you decide to, to build your own tools? Yeah, it was really just the inefficiencies of all the other tools we were using. Because um, when we first started using like warehouse management software, like none of them could really fit an Amazon business because you got UPCs, you got merchant SKUs, you got ASINs, and then you got variety packs with multiple UPCs in that merchant SKU, which make up an ASIN. And it just got very complicated and there was nothing off shelf that worked. So we hired some companies to help um, use their software to build them. And we spent hundreds of thousands of dollars doing that, completely had to eliminate it because it just didn't work. And we're like, listen, the only next solution is we have to build our own. Yeah. <laughs> we spent hundreds of thousands on something that didn't work. I love the note. Like, I, I just love the, the, the nonchalantness about how you're throwing some of these things out. It's, it's, it's yeah. great. It's refreshing. <laughs> um, so uh, could you give me a kind of a rundown of a day in the life uh, for you? Because, um, you know, I guess with, with operating such a large warehouse and a large team and all the different things that go into it. But at the, at the core of it, you know, it's still a lot of the same activities that uh, smaller Amazon sellers are doing every day, researching products and, and yeah. different things like that. Um, you know, what, what is your kind of day look like today? So my day specifically, Oh man, there's not one day that's similar. Um, it's all over the place, but I'll give you like an average day. So typically, yeah. first of all, I love coming to the warehouse. I, I spend uh, still at least four days a week here, um, unless I'm traveling, which I do a lot of, um, helping other people grow their businesses. But so let's just say it's a regular week. We'll call it a Monday. So Monday, my first thing I get into the office, first thing I'm doing is checking my repricer, right? Because I want to have as a, as a, as a owner, I want to know where the money's going, what products are generating the most of it, if there needs to be any changes in the pricing structure. So I typically spend 30 to 45 minutes in the morning um, with the repricer. And then a Monday morning is straight into management meetings to make sure that the rest of the team is all on the page, same page for the upcoming week, right? So I'll jump in a meeting with our management. That includes the downstairs management, the upstairs management, the buyers, um, and we sit for about an hour, hour and a half together and we review what's happening, where the company is and making sure that we have enough inventory for production for the coming days, um, which is super, super important. Um, and then it's typically meetings with my brands. You know, I manage some brand exclusive relationships where we're the only sellers and we enroll them in brand registry and we run ads for their, their products. So I'm typically meeting with them through Zoom calls and you know, they allocate PPC budgets and all of that. And then typically the second half of my day, 
uh, because uh, we've been able to implement an infrastructure of um, employees who take care of a majority of what happens now. I no longer do a lot of it because I've, I've built a team to help assist with that. So typically the latter part of my day after 2 p.m. is all focused on helping other sellers through Amazon Lit build out their businesses. So taking sales calls, doing warehouse visits, you know, video training, anything I can do to help someone else reach that new milestone in their company. The latter part of my day is spent doing that. It's you've so, so much going on, I guess, in a given day, especially with two businesses, obviously running the e-commerce business and then also Amazon lit where you help other business owners. Um, seems to me like time management must be something that's quite important for you. Right. So how, like, how do you think about making sure that you get the most out of, out of every day? Oh, Google Calendar. I literally like today I got 11 things on my calendar and they're all, none of them are less than a half hour structure. This is the actually the last one for today, um, <laughs> which is, which is going to end shortly here. But so like Google Calendar, I have all my calendars connected through my cell phone. So I got my personal calendar for like the dentist appointments or you know, physical therapy because I hurt my shoulder. And then I have my Amazon lit calendar for like consultations and warehouse visits. And then I have my Amazon business calendar for the day to day. And they're all connected in one place. So I see them and I know exactly where I need to be and when I need to be there. If it's not on my calendar, I'm not going to show up. I can tell you that for sure. And so do you kind of blockade time for even if it's not a meeting, if it's a task, block 30 minutes, an hour, you know, and you're kind of, yeah. I guess, making sure that you're allocating those blocks for, for everything that you do. A hundred percent. So for example, tomorrow, Saturday, I have to get a new license. I literally put it in my calendar because my license expired. Two weeks ago. <laughs> 9 a.m. It says get a new license with updated address. So mm -hmm. yeah, I put, I put everything on my calendar. You're exactly like my wife. She's so down to the wire on the minute by minute. I'm I'm testing it right now. I'm like I'm starting to do a little more of it to because there's just there's so much going on that I'm like okay if I if I just start compartmentalizing my day a little better, I could get more done. And so yeah, I'm, I'm testing it out. We'll, yeah, we'll see it, how it goes. Give it a try, man. If it doesn't work, you could always go back to the way you've been doing it for years. Yeah, uh, yeah. If she if she'll you know I'll be okay with it. I've uh, I've talk like we we talked this week about you know let's do a shared calendar because uh she works with me on both businesses and uh let's do a shared calendar where we can see you know what each other has got going on um and you know i'm hoping that uh i can uh, so i'm someone who who doesn't think two weeks out i think mm. this week you know and she's someone who plans you know well, very far out in advance yeah. so i'm hoping i don't get overwhelmed by the amount of stuff that is in the calendar for four weeks from now but yeah. <laughs> i'm sure it'll work yeah. Um, all right. So, Eric, I, you know, I, I want to start to kind of close us out, but I, I would be remiss to not really ask you, um, you know, looking back on the last 10 years, because what a journey that you've had. Uh, are there any big things that stand out to you as like, those are some of the best days in my business, right? And these are some of the big reasons why I do what I do. Uh, you know, is there any big kind of things that have happened over the last 10 years? That you're kind of like, this is what I would point to as, uh, you know, something that that gives you purpose in, in building this business and something that you love? Is it that, you know, you've been able to start helping others build their business and, and see other people massively succeed? Is it that you, you know, you've been able to grow a team and give 50 people mm. 
a job? What are some of the things that you've just really loved about the journey? Yeah, you, you nailed it on the head. It's both of those. So the first would be um, because before I ever taught anybody, I, I, I was a business owner here, right? And I think seeing these people, we have a very high retention rate. Some of our employees have been with us six, seven years. So I've seen them get married. I've seen them buy their first home, get their first car, have children. Um, and that has been such a blessing to be able to see them grow and thrive and to be able to provide for their families um, 100%. And then the second part is uh, helping other people change their lives by teaching them what I've learned over the past decade so they can implement that into their companies and, you know, five, six, seven X in 18 to 24 months and absolutely change their lives and have the time and financial freedom that they've been looking for. That's so rewarding. Love it. And even, you know, your free content that you put out, like you're putting out so much value. Um, once again, anyone watching, listening, go check out Amazon lit on Instagram. Um, Eric, is there any other place where you would direct people that, or is Instagram the best place to start? Instagram is the best place in our link in the, but we got all our other resources. So that's, that's where most people learn about us, but we got all the socials. So, but Instagram is a great place to start, start there. Perfect. Yeah. Perfect. And then, um, last two two real super quick ones is there anything you would say to someone who wanted to start out exploring the world of wholesale um you know any quick quick fire tips for the beginner yeah i would say spend a full day creating a list of suppliers to find because that's the hardest part of this game is finding those suppliers realistically in four to five hours you could find probably 50 to 100 different suppliers and that's just the finding aspect that doesn't mean you've gotten a catalog open the account and then the next day would be actually reach out to them and try to get the catalog because that's the golden goose egg in this whole process is that wholesale catalog. So you get about a 10% open rate. So just put in the work, spend the time, contact those vendors, get a supplier catalog, because once you have that supplier catalog, you now have access to the inventory. Think about it as a store. You now have access to that store that you could purchase from. Love it. Yeah. Amazing. And um, the last thing I want to ask you really is just when you think about your future of the business, what are you excited about, you know, going forward? What are like, I guess, do you have any kind of goals? If you look five years into the future, what does life look like? Yeah. So um, I'd love to be doing a hundred plus million dollars a year, or much more than that five years. That's really like an 18 month goal. Um, but really we're, I'd like to make more of a shift to a lot more brand partnerships only because I enjoy it more, um, you know, kind of helping some of these large national and international brands kind of build out their presence. Because then for my side, I don't have to go create a product. I just take a product that's really good already, help market it, and then keep some profit in between, which has been a game changer. And then the second thing for me is I really, I, I got a bunch of money stacked up and I really want to dump it into some you know, apartment complexes or multi-unit homes and, and really start building um, long-term wealth through real estate because I'm getting murdered on taxes right now. Love it. Love it. Yeah, I'm a fan of real estate as well. Um, you should explore Lego investing. We slot it nicely. Eric, this has been a ton of fun. Um, it's been great to have you here, man. And like I said, you know, I've been watching you for, for the longest time. So it's been an honor uh, to have this conversation with you. Wishing you and Sebastian all the best, uh, you know, over the next few years. Uh, yeah. I'll be watching from the sidelines. Continue to to, to crush it. Um, you know, again, everyone go check out Amazon Lit. You will not be disappointed to get that Sunday motivation uh, every week. Uh, with that, Eric, thank you so much for being here, man. We'll, uh, yeah. we'll talk soon. 
Yeah, Shane, it's been a pleasure, man. Appreciate you. Thank you. Thanks a lot. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving a five-star rating. It really does help us to bring you amazing content. And if you want to learn more about building an income with Lego, check out BrickBox.net or find us on YouTube at BrickBox to learn about Lego investing.